This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Alongside Ben Dowsett, as always, joining us. Ben Dowsett, the associate editor of saltcityhoops.com. Welcome into an August edition of the show. We're excited to have you. Two hours of Utah Jazz and NBA talking in the deepest depths of the offseason, I think it's fair to say. I was going to say by mid-August, you meant we have more material than any other time of the year, right? <laughs> that's that's one way to look at it. Perhaps not. Um, under 30 days until training camp, though. Uh, begins for the Utah Jazz, so that's silver the, linings. In, yeah, it's not so much a silver lining, but the the light at the end of the tunnel right. is emerging. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there was a piece of jazz news to talk about this week, uh, and we've got several different pieces of jazz analysis as well to talk about during the show today. We're gonna have Andy Bailey on from Bleacher Report joining us, Bleacher Report NBA columnist. Uh, He's maybe the biggest proponent out there of the Jazz playing without a point guard um, and starting someone like Alec Burks or Elijah Millsap or Rodney Hood at that point guard spot rather than kind of forcing one of the Jazz's point guards into there. So we'll talk to him about that. We'll get our opinions. You'll get our opinions on playing without a point guard as well. We'll also talk about the Jazz's all-star chances. ESPN had a forecast today uh, looking at the likelihood that Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert are uh, All-Stars next year, and we'll talk about that, as well as the chances get Rudy Gobert is the Defensive Player of the Year next year, which you know I think is, is possible. He finished third uh, in the voting this year. Uh, some other topics. Jazz offseason, the 2016 offseason. I know it's almost a year away, I guess, now, but there are some interesting questions kind of setting that up for you. The Jazz will have so much cap space. We'll talk about kind of the options on what you can do with that. We'll have a little bit of LOL Lakers like we like to uh, with some fun news there and then some sad news with Daryl Dawkins passing away today. We'll, we'll t- kind of talk about his legacy. But we'll start with Jeff Withy, who was signed this week to a two-year deal by the Utah Jazz. $200,000 of that guaranteed, uh, as reported by Eric Finkus of Basketball Insiders. I got that number confirmed as correct, by the way. So um, Eric never gets those wrong and, and yeah. always gets them first. He's, it's on, it's, I have to do the mini shout out because I'm no, with it's basketball very cool. insiders. Eric, you need to go there for your salary stuff if you're ever doing salary stuff. Eric Pinkett, he has the ins with all the, the organizations because that takes actual research. The teams oh, yeah. don't immediately announce we had, you know, it was 200,000 guaranteed. They don't, you know, like you had to confirm that probably through a source. And mm-hmm. they, that's how it works. And nobody gets them quicker than him and nobody gets them more accurate. Anyway, yeah. plug over. No, it's no. I I think that's fair. I think it's when when people do good work, it's it's good to call it. A, you know, congratulate them for it. Uh, I, personally, I as I looked at the free agency roster, kind of uh, before Monday when that signing was announced, I thought Withy was actually one of the better guys who was still on that list. Uh, I, to be honest, I'm I'm kind of surprised that he was available for the Jazz to sign and for the Jazz to sign for that little amount of money. How it came about, it sounds like uh, the Jazz went to 
Jeff Withy's agent and said, look, you know, we don't have a guaranteed money roster spot open for you, but we would be happy to do something like we did with Elijah Millsap and Jack Cooley and, and the whole nine yards of giving you a certain guaranteed amount and then bring you into training camp and have you compete for a place on this roster. And, and I you, think they gave him a little more guaranteed than they gave most of those other yes. guys, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, and I think that's um, fair given Jeff Withy's NBA pedigree to this point. You right. know, whereas Jack Cooley does not have that NBA pedigree. Withy has played two years and almost a thousand minutes in an NBA uniform for the New Orleans Pelicans. And, by the way, has done really well. Uh, it, over average PERs both years. Um, still a tremendous shot blocker at the NBA level, which I wasn't actually convinced he would be able to translate from Kansas to the NBA. And in fact, he has. He was a single season leader in blocks in Kansas uh, and is getting 3.8 blocks per 100 possessions at the NBA level, which I really like. Yeah, I mean, well, my thoughts on this on, on Withy are, are kind of twofold. First of all, I want to say I, I don't think this is a bad player, and I don't think that – I think he's a, another type of the the – sort of right upside gambles that the Jazz like to take. And if I'm not mistaken, there's there's been sort of an understanding that if he were to not make the roster, he will end up in Idaho. He'll play yeah, in Idaho. and that, that's almost the more incredible part of this is, you know, we're, we're looking at this NBA caliber player, again, above average, average PERs every year. Um, good on defense, as, as we'll talk about. Um, well, heck, let's talk about it now. Allowed 43.7% at the rim last year, which would have been sixth amongst if if the volume was high enough, if he played enough minutes. Um, he also decreased opponents' field goal percentage by about 10% last year when he was defending them within six feet of the rim. Okay. Um, so very good rim protector. Uh, and, uh, you know, to me, that's his NBA skill. For a guy like that to be willing to go to Idaho, even if he doesn't make the Jazz's roster, and, in fact, that's what I've been told is he will go to Idaho – that's that says something. I mean, he becomes the best player for the Idaho Stampede, I think. Pretty much right away. That's honestly like maybe too bad for Jack Cooley in a sense because Jack's probably going to end up in Idaho too, and he was probably the centerpiece. Well, but we'll see if Jack Cooley actually ends up in Idaho, right? Like he may he may sign elsewhere right. if if he doesn't. Yeah. But from what I hear, uh, Jeff Withy is much more likely to do that than than Jack Cooley, if, especially if he's like a backup center. And the knowledge of that does make my opinion on this signing certainly more favorable. The the because I think a lot of the indication early on and part of not all of it but part of the reason I was lukewarm when we first saw the and I, I remained somewhat lukewarm was that it when Adrian Wojnarowski first reported it it seemed very much from the tone of his reporting that the Jazz looked at Withy as a guy that was going to make the roster and that that was again it was never for sure it was never for sure but he I, said good chance of making the Jazz's roster right and that's reading tea leaves that may or may not actually in, exist in reality but it it I don't know again I guess maybe I got two in my own head on as far as that which is I think it's a really good thing that they've left themselves the the and of course that they have the the players apparently the players say so that he will go and do that if they if he doesn't make the roster, which leaves open that, you know, your Bryce Cotton could still make it very easily. Chris Johnson, if he performs the right way, or even a guy like Cooley, if he perform, if he if he outplays him. And I like that flexibility. One of the big things for me is that I uh, at the end of the roster, I don't think the Jazz should be doing anything to remove the flexibility, which this deal wasn't. It appears M- my thing with Withy is that I'm I'm just not 100 percent sure that any of the things, even the things that you've mentioned are necessarily robust when playing at a like 
consistently rotation minutes in the NBA, which maybe he's they're not signing him to do. But he did last year when he played 900 minutes, or sorry, I think it's 700 minutes. No, no, played. that was the year before. He played like 680 minutes. Sorry, yeah, okay, 2013 to 14, he played 684 minutes. To me, that's uh, kind of NBA rotation-ish. That's 11.8 minutes per game over the course of 58 games. Like, that's... That's a bigger role than a lot of jazz players had, certainly, last year. Right, and he was a lot closer to average in those times. Last year, when it, it, some of his efficiency rose last year, but I, you know, I noted, I went back and did some math, and over 50% of his minutes last year came while the score was 10 or more points. Like, there was a gap in the score of 10 or more points. Sure. He was either leading. So that's Mostly a lot of gar- garbage time. A lot of garbage time that he played. I, I watched a good amount of tape uh, a few days ago, and then also today on Withy. I'm just... I'm I'm again I know I'm picking nits here which we have to do it's it's August and we're talking about guys competing for the 15th spot on the roster but I'm really not sh- the main thing for me is that I'm not sure this isn't overlap with a bunch of stuff the Jazz already have and really don't sure need it is. anymore. But the the truth of the matter is that you can't play Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors all I, I well I don't think you want to play Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert all 48 minutes at the center position. Maybe not, but because that's why you, you brought in Tibor Place, them, right? Okay, sure. And then you, but you don't know if Tibor Place is is going to be a useful NBA player right away. I mean, to me, this is not. You're right that it it, it does overlap the the skill set. Don't get me wrong. But a, I think it's a useful skill set. And b, I'm not sure that the Jazz. Uh, to me, this says that the Jazz are more in play uh, in asset acquisition mode. You know, right. it's it's about getting the most talent possible. And like, look at it this way: if the Jazz cut Chris Johnson on whenever that cut date is, I think it's October 20th, uh, and send him down to Idaho. Does Chris Johnson get called up immediately? Didn't, we, me, say, didn't like, we say that Chris Johnson can't go to Idaho because okay, he was right. originally procured from elsewhere? Thank you. No, that's that's a good point. So That's why I worry me, about that. To me, I, well, and I'm not that concerned about the Idaho roster in, in the end and how talented it is. I'm more worried which, to me, is a better asset, Jeff right. Withey or Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson, I, I think, doesn't get called up right away at if he's at the D League level. I think Jeff Withey's like the first guy who's called up at the D League level if the the first time there's a big injury out there. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I I also think that there's the Jazz's bigs have a and you know track record doesn't necessarily always mean every anything sometimes as far as injuries, but I think the Jazz's bigs have a lot better track record of staying healthy than their wings do that's in in the recent years. And again, totally picking nits. I agree with you that from a, from an asset collection standpoint, and especially with the understanding that they can send him to Idaho if they need, then that's uh, they, you've retained a lot of your flexibility there. And that, and I'm I'm fine with it from that perspective. Just overall as a player, I don't know that I see much from Withy. I don't I really? I because I've, I've watched a lot of of Plice tape in the last little while as well. <laughs> I, and yeah. I know that it's different levels of competition, which I've taken into account when I've done my analysis. I think Plyce does like besides blocking shots. I think Plyce does everything better. I, I yeah. I mean, I I think basically Jeff Withy is a better defensive player, and uh, I don't Plyce even know if he's a better defensive player. player. Really? I think he's a better no, shot blocker. I don't. I think he, I think rim protection certainly Jeff Withy's better. I don't. I, I'm just saying. Like okay, I understand how is the numbers. Jeff Withy blocking more shots in the NBA level than Plyce is at the ACB. Shot blocking and rim protection are not. The okay, same but thing. they're okay. But we've even looked at these rim protection numbers, right? That he's ten percent. He de- decreases opponents' field goal percentages ten percent when he's near the rim, and he would have been sixth in the NBA. This is your stat. But in garbage time minutes. Oh sure. In okay. a lot of garbage right. time minutes. So I mean, even if you take that into account, where you know he's f- and B, I still take the garbage time NBA guys over the average the backup ACB players. 
backup ACB players. Probably, but I'm not uh, probably. Definitely, these are backup NBA players compared to backup ACB players. Well, there's backups, and then there's like backup, backup, backups. Okay, even like, third string NBA players right. over backup ACB players. I'm just what I'm all I'm saying is that I've watched a, a fairly significant as much as can be watched really on both of these guys yeah. within the last little while. I, I see it in place. I see a more active defender. Withy defends with his hands down. I've, I've I noticed that specifically. It was bugging me actually while I was watching it. He puts his hands up only to go up and try and block shots. Doesn't keep his hands up otherwise. Plice plays with his hands out. He plays way. He seems to communicate a lot more. I saw Withy get himself out of position a ton again against like really not very good players. Like most of the time playing against like backups and third tier guys. I, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that I know this for sure because obviously we don't have the right playing field to level things out on and whatnot. I just don't think Jeff Withy is a particularly effective NBA player. It's for, perfectly worth it for the Jazz to take a gamble that he might be, and that's fine. I, I just I don't really see it, and I've liked a lot of their other sort of high upside gambles more than this one in the past. Yeah, I don't know that this is like a super high upside gamble, right? Uh, I mean, what do you mean by high upside gamble? And, that, and that's the other part is that actually, like, Plyce, I think, I think his, has more upside, right? And with he's seven two and yeah. you know has the offensive touch apparently and and everything else, yeah. But I think with he has the potential, at least I, I think he has the potential to be like a legitimately useful backup center. With he or Plyce. I mean, both do, but right. I'm talking about Withy. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, that's as a as like a potential ceiling. I don't think that's unfair, but, you know, he's 25 already. He's he's kind of already been in a bit and, and hasn't really managed to make much of a dent. Um, This is an unfair comparison, but who would you rather have, Aaron Baines or Jeff Withy? I don't know that I've watched enough of both of them combined. I, I mean, I would probably say Baines, honestly. Yeah, I mean, th- that's a fair point, but Aaron Baines just made a three-year, $20 million contract with the Detroit Pistons. Which was a massive overpay. But oh, yeah, oh, for yeah. sure, no <laughs> doubt. But, you know, you look at, and he's pay, he's played not that many more minutes in his NBA career and, quite frankly, did significantly worse over the first two years of his NBA career and is three years older. Fair. I Like, I, I think... Uh, I. I I think, A, you're being a little bit harsh on with the with regards to the matchups he's played, mostly because he played many more minutes in his rookie year and was still effective and, and right. was playing against, you know, NBA backups rather than NBA third strings. I think okay. that's that's fair to say. But, um, you know, you're right that he's not going to change the world. And I don't think that he has the upside that that Tibor Place does. Right. Uh, but I do think that like when I watch the Tibor Place's three Euro Cup games or these this, this cup friendly games that he's been playing over mm-hmm. this summer. I see remarkably easy shots. Right. And that's, I didn't, I wrote my T-Bar Plus article the other day and yeah. I didn't even. And it was great, by the I way. Didn't, thank you. I didn't even put the, because I was warned by a bunch of people, these friendly games that you're seeing right now, they're a joke as far as the yeah. competition goes. And you can't like put any stock in them. They did, these same people tell me when the actual Eurobasket competition starts next month, be different. it's worth watching and it's worth taking stuff away from. So I'm really interested to see that with Plus as well. I don't think we're actually that far apart. And we're guys, we're like picking massive nits here because <laughs> we're talking about end of roster guys who it's very, like if these guys are ever actually playing big minutes, it's because one of the other guys got hurt and the Jazz are in trouble. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'll totally be in trouble. But, oh, I mean, I'd rather have Aaron Baines on here on this roster than, uh, I, I don't know. I th- uh, sorry, not Aaron Baines. Jeff Withy. <laughs> Jeff Withy. I'd rather have Jeff Withy on this roster than I think Chris Johnson. Okay. And I'm, I, I Would guess. Would you go the th- other way on that? I think I would okay. because there's just not that he's not necessarily maybe a slightly better asset in a vacuum. I think Withy might be, probably is, in fact. But based on what the Jazz have need for at the end of the bench there and the the fact that Hood has had some injury issues, Burks has had some injury issues, so on and so forth, 
I know that that's very unscientific because that's not really how it works. Like previous injury history doesn't always indicate right. future. But sometimes but, it does. Yeah. No, so I don't. I don't think we're that far apart. Speaking of shot blocking, though, there was some other fun. Or if we're ready to transition to this, yeah, let's do, you have let's anything do it. I mean, we can use even Withy as an. I don't know if we can use him as an example on this, but he's yeah. he's one of the Withy is not one of the premier shot blockers in the league. But nevertheless, there was a shot blocking study done. Yeah. Um. So this was done by Seth Partnow over at Nylon Calculus. We seem to shout him out on like every show that we do because he does <laughs> awesome work. He's also a guest of the program from time to time. What Seth went and looked at using a combination of play-by-play data and I believe sport view data also was how effective the highest volume shot blockers in the league are at then having their own team recover the shots they block. So I think this this first became a big thing with Dwight Howard like a few years ago because everybody was wondering why does he make such an effort specifically to swat the ball as far as he possibly can and <laughs> shoot it three rows up when in reality that gives the ball back to the other team and in, like sometimes you've just got to do it because you don't have time to control yourself or whatever. But sometimes it's like, dude, you could have caught that thing with two hands yeah. if you had done it. In, but instead, you don't need to volleyball spike yeah, it out of instead bounds. Instead, you spiked it into like. It's this actually something right. Bill Russell talked about even as right. back as in, as early as the '60s. Like you know, trying to find teammates with these blocks rather than just giving the the other team back. Yeah. And not ball. surprisingly, by the way, Dwight Howard had the of guys who blocked at least fifty shots last year, the lowest bottom, the last place as far as his. Team's rate of recovery of those blocks. The eye test works. Yeah, so the eye test definitely works. And I found this particularly interesting because, first of all, Seth based the article or used Rudy Gobert as a barometer, I guess I should say, as because it, it Rudy is obviously a beastly shot blocker and he wanted to look at how Rudy compared to other volume shot blockers as far as this went. And I think the result was that Rudy is slightly worse than average among high volume shot blockers. I mean, it, it depends what stat you look at, right? right? So you look at his defensive rebound percentage, um, and it's it's less. But if you look at the percentage of uh, blocks that stay in bounds, it's equal league average. And if you look which ones the defense actually gets a hold of, it's actually fifty eight percent. So, which is one percent higher than league average. Right. So yeah, approximately average. Right. And but actually, more specifically, what I found interesting was that Derek Favors is among the better high volume guys in the league as far as this goes. As far as getting his blocks into where the Jazz have the ball afterwards, however that works, which means blocking less shots out of bounds and the defense recovering more of the shots that he does keep in bounds. Mm-hmm. His favors had a defensive recovery percentage of 65.3, which is like what, like eighth or ninth among, high, among yeah. guys that blocked at least 50. And then Gobert was down around, let me see, sorry, I lost it, about 58%. Yeah. So... A bit of a difference there, and some of this, I think, as Seth would be first to admit, some of it is just like random variance because you can't always control where the ball is going to go after you block it. And, and there aren't that many blocks sometimes exactly. to, to really get a good percentage. Yeah, that as well. So, But I, I still did find it really interesting, and there are a few guys who I think you look at and you, you can you can at least think there's a good chance this guy has a, an actual skill at doing this. Uh, a guy I, I've noted in the past who li- it lined up with the eye test is Serge Ibaka. Ibaka has one of the highest recovery percentages. It's like 67%. He, he's not one of those guys who's flashy about his blocks and, and, and wants to throw them into the stands. And he, he understands, I think, the value of his team recovering the block. Um, I, I just thought this whole thing was kind of interesting. And I'm, I, would be, I, I believe Seth is continuing to look at how, the, how to separate which of this is skill and which of it is luck. Right? Yeah. Because I, I, I don't think when you have guys that are lumped close together as far as this goes, I don't know that you can separate 
one one being better than the other. And it's not that much of a difference, right? Like the the difference between Dwight Howard at forty five percent and uh, Serge Ibaka, for example, is at what is he at sixty sixty seven percent? You know, those are big differences. But that's only on like one and a half shot blocks per game. Right. So really, you know, you're looking at what, like a point one, point two points per game sort of difference between these players. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a reason to like crucify Dwight Howard. No, no. Well, in Dwight's case, given how much lower he is than everybody, like we're talking about Serge Ibaka at 65 or 67 percent mm-hmm. and Dwight's at 45. Sure. I think that's a wide enough gap to at least criticize a little. But in, you know, in the case of a guy like Gobert, for example, I think that I would have to ask Seth what he thinks, but I think think part of his number being lower than maybe we might have thought is because just because of the raw number of shots that he blocks many of those from positions where you would not expect a guy to typically be able to block that shot yeah and you just can't some you know you're reaching at the very tip top of your of your wing of your wingspan you can't really do anything about where that goes let me give you a counter to that though and i looked the rest of the bottom of that list the the guys around dwight howard who don't have their defense recover that many of their blocks and to me it's pretty non-athletic sort of centers the guys like al jefferson who's not you know jumping up and swatting blocks into the stand certainly right. but his teammates aren't getting the ball back either uh cole aldrich you know uh Tyler Zeller, Mason Plumley, I guess is pretty athletic. I don't know if yeah. he's he's swatting balls out of bounds. So you know, like it's um, to me, that's not the the cream. That's those aren't the guys who I think of when swatting blocks out of bounds. Certainly not Al Jefferson. No, definitely not. And uh, maybe some of it is because of their own lack of athleticism that they can. And I'm I'm actually it's uh, it's too bad that Seth didn't include because I know he has this data. I've asked him about it before that he didn't include. Oh, a guy's own percentage of his own blocks rec- that mm. he himself recovered. Where he either catched it or tipped it to himself. Exactly, or the case which I bet you if you looked at that, Gobert would be higher in the, because he gets so many of those off of the off of the little rebounds there. Yeah. Whereas uh, Jefferson or whoever, they don't have the second leap ability to right. get up and do that as often. But if you don't jump as high, then you get to second leap faster. That's true, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe if you don't have to jump as much because you have Rudy Gobert arms, then you get the, whatever. I mean, yeah. you, you, you see what I mean. Right. Um, I actually asked Rudy Gobert about this during the season, by the way, and he said that basically it wasn't something that he was thinking about yet. So I asked him this about January, kind of when he was first emerging as a player. Um, and, yeah, he said, you know, it's I'm just trying to get my hand on the ball. I'm not trying to steer it to teammates. I'm not trying to keep it out of bounds or inbounds, excuse me. I'm just trying to block the shot however possible. And I wonder for, you know, what percentage of NBA big men that's the case. I think it would have to be a high percentage because it's one of those things where it's like in – you know, you like soccer a lot. It's it's like when if a ball is crossed into the center and you're a defender and it's near your goal and your goalie's not getting it, you just, whatever angle you can head the ball away from, yeah. you just do it. It doesn't matter if there's guys close to you. The safe play is you head the ball out of bounds and make sure that nothing's going to happen, even if there was a very low risk, right? Yeah. It's kind of this, a similar concept with shot blocks. It's like if you're thinking so much about how you're going to block it to your teammate, maybe you're just not going to block the shot which is less valuable. Like blocking the shot in and of itself, regardless of the, the what follows, is almost always more valuable than allowing the shot to reach the rim. Right. You know, those these are layup kind of shots yeah. that you want to extingu- extinguish, if you right. will. Oh, and by the way, sorry, guys. Yeah, these are shots ahead. within five feet. The, oh, okay. we, didn't, we didn't mention that when we no, that's visited, good the, to know. Seth's article was about shots within five feet of the basket. I wonder also then who has the most shots on um, attempts outside of five feet. Jeremy Evans blocks, if you will, where that's you're true. skying for to block jump shots. Yeah. 
I, I'm, you know, curious. And this, these are the sort of questions that, heck, if you want to tweet him, just at Seth Partnow and we'll yeah. <laughs> maybe he'll answer the questions. Who yeah, knows? That's true. Anyway, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to have Andy Bailey of Bleacher Report join us to talk about the Jazz's point guard options and, in particular, one option to not play a point guard. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show. You're listening to ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. I forgot to mention our, our Twitter handles and whatnot and our phone number so you guys can text and call and tweet us if you if you so choose. Uh, I'm at Andy B. Larson. I'm at Ben underscore Dowsett. If you guys want to ask a, a question throughout the show, feel free to do so. Um, or you can call us at 877-353-0700. Our next guest is at Andrew D. Bailey, if you want to ask him a question, too. He's Andy Bailey, featured national columnist for Bleacher Report, as well as the Utah Jazz Specialist. Andy, are you, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Andy? I'm I'm doing well. Thank you for using our common name. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate it. You guys are both named the same thing? What? Who would ever have known? <laughs> I want to well, ask... He goes by Andy on Twitter. I guess that's the one difference. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, but then you have Andy in your in your name, you know, on Bleach Report and whatever it gets else. So, for yeah, sure. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, we have you on the show to talk about maybe your your latest pet theory, your pet project of you want the Jazz to play without a point guard for for large stretches of next year. You know, maybe starting start Alec Burks, for example, at the point guard position rather than Trey Burke or Raul Neto or Bryce Cotton. Can you kind of explain, first of all, why it is that you you're, you think like that, and then we can discuss it, argue it, tear it apart, whatever we have to do? Sure. Um, I'll just kind of self-plug my fir- myself first. I, I actually have a pretty long uh, explanation of it on today's Fast Break, if anybody's interested, of why I think. Uh, I used Alec Burks, but I one name that's, making more sense to me recently, and I actually heard Ben bring this up, not as a starter, but just as another option in a North Point guard lineup is Elijah Millsap. Um, really, my thinking is, when Quinn Snyder was first hired, we, we heard a lot about positionless basketball. And I think that uh, circumstances kind of dictated that this is, this is a good opportunity to actually try that, actually put it into practice. Um, Offensively, Burks would still he would still function as a shooting guard. He would still do all the same things. So some people will argue that taking him out of his role as sort of a natural scorer and a driver will kind of eliminate some of the things that he does well. But he he'll continue to do that because Hood and Hayward can can do those things offensively, and they really did for most of last season, especially when Exum was the starter. And then so really the main issue is does it work defensively? And I know this is this is where um, Ben has a problem with it, and rightfully so. He has some concerns about Alex, Alex Burks defensively. Um, in my mind, he just makes more sense as a defensive option against one than Trey Burke does, and I, I, I would be surprised to hear either of you say that you don't think Elijah Millsap would be a better option there. Um, so if, I, I kind of rambled a little bit, but those are, those are sort of my general reasons of why I think it would work. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we'd all agree Elijah is, is pretty significantly the best perimeter defender on the Jazz, but you run into other issues with him, in, namely that he's going to slow your offense down if you have him in for, yeah. for big periods of time. So I'm, I, I will say, and we'll get more of my thoughts on this on the, on the next segment, but I, I'm at least intrigued by the idea as well, and I've been talking about it with a lot of people. I'm not as full bore on it, I don't think, as you are. And you mentioned, as you said, the reason I'm a little concerned is because of the defense. But another concern for me, and this is more if we're, if we're really going – 
hard with this and and starting it and not even necessarily if you start it but if you're looking to play these types of lineups a lot like more than a few minutes a game against the right matchups so on so forth is how do you how do the how do the minutes break down and how do you first of all are you getting a little bit further into your wing rotation that you might then you might typically like to because you're playing wings at the point secondly are you are you kind of in a sense, removing the 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 reason for having three active point guards on the ro- most likely three active point guards on the roster, while by the fact that the I mean, if you're taking minutes away from the starter, that means there's going to be less minutes to go around overall. And then just in general, is how do you do the rotations? Are these things that you've kind of like thought out to that level? Well, let me answer the second question first because I think that one's the most simple. And I think if the coaching staff was very serious about pursuing this. Um, then you you wouldn't. I guess you would have to keep three point guards just because Exum's got to stay on there, um, and then I you you keep Burke and Neto, but it, it pretty much all but eliminates Bryce Cotton um, from the conversation, uh, which is unfortunate. But you know there are unfortunate realities in the NBA. Um, as for the last question, rotationally, I think it's fair. A lot of people bring this up to me on Twitter. There are concerns that. If you put Burks um, in the starting lineup, you kind of throw off the balance of the second unit. Like you want somebody in that second unit who can sort of carry the offense. Um, Trey Burke had that job last season, and it's a different discussion whether or not he was effective in that role. Um, I I would agree that Burks would probably be better at that than than Trey Burke was. Um, I haven't really specifically broken down a rotation. Um, but I, there are ways that you could you could stagger this up so that Hood or Burks or Hayward uh, will spend a few extra minutes with the second unit or really all three of them at different points in the game to kind of pick up that offensive slack. Um, I think a lot of times we get into a habit of thinking that NBA subs are kind of like hockey subs where it's, where it's five for five, um, and that's that's just not the case. And coaches will sit down and they. Some some of them will very meticulously write out a rotation to make sure that each lineup that they put in there has a balance. Um, remind me of your first question again, Ben. I- <laughs> uh, that, it was that was basically the, the the gist of what I was going for, and I think that's the that. And I, w- I was talking about this the other night on a podcast I did for Real GM with Danny Larue and Steve McPherson, and the, the concern Danny raised that I think is is legitimate is uh, actually excuse me, it was Steve that raised it. Is it, it, there is a thing of when you take NBA players who, especially guys that have spent significant time in a certain role, and you move them to a different role, that can be more difficult than I think we give it credit for. So like a guy like Alec Burks, I know that, and I, I fully agree, and I made the counterpoint that I don't, you're not actually playing him as an offensive point guard all the time. Like it's not yeah. like the experiment that they did a couple years ago when Ty Corbin was still the coach where they actually yeah, had Alec Burks different. as the, the full-time ball handler during those those segments and that just like it didn't work Dennis Lindsay made comments afterwards that he was he was very opposed to that sort of thing later on in the year so on so forth in this case it would be different but at the same time you still are changing these guys roles and you mentioned earlier the defense as I said to you on Twitter earlier today I do think it's than most people I don't Andy Larson uh, I don't know what your thought would be on that between Burke and Burke's guarding point guards, if we if the the improvements we saw from Trey Burke at the end of last year continue, 
and Alec Burks continues with some of his issues away from the ball. He's, he's really spacey a lot of the time, has trouble staying with his man sometimes. Even on the ball, a little every now and then he'll lunge. He can be drawn out of position a little bit too easily, and I say that as like his biggest supporter basically in the world. I think that it's a lot closer between those guys than we might assume. What do you, I don't know. Do you Would you agree? Yeah, no, I, I, I do. I think it's kind of close. Uh, and... Uh, it's so hard because we haven't seen, uh, you know, we haven't seen Alec Burks play in Quinn Snyder's system yet, other than the first two months when I think nobody got it. Quite frankly, yeah. you know, it, uh, the the Jazz looked very bad for those months, and Alec Burks was was in the lineup. Some of that might just be because of Alex Bur- Alec Burks. Sorry, is not a good defender, and some of it might be that he hadn't learned the system yet like everybody else and plus was also playing with Ennis Cantor. To me, I, I don't know. I, I think it's hard to say. I Obviously, Alex's wingspan is a lot better, and I think I would believe in him more on the ball against the NBA's best point guards. Uh, but off ball, I think he could be exploited a lot. Right. Andy, Bailey. Uh, sorry, yeah, I, I, would, <laughs> I have to continue the, the, the differentiation there. What the, I would agree with those, those assessments. Um, and I, I do think that we've it's sort of become cliche to, to harp on Trey Burke's defense. Um, and there is a bit of an unknown with Alec because most of what we saw was when nobody knew the system. Um, the other thing that I kind of like about him defensively as opposed to Trey Burke, or we can, we can substitute Elijah Millsap's name here too. Um, part of what made Utah's defensive so effective in the second half of last season was they adopted, uh, at least to some extent, this sort of Golden State um, mantra where you can you have guys that are mobile and big enough to switch sort of one through four and then you rely on somebody like Andrew Bogut or Rudy Gobert to kind of clean everything up on the back end and I think you're more able to do that with Millsap or Burks as opposed to Trey Burke um, and that's just a physical thing if if you try to switch Trey Burke onto a six eight six nine small forward you're going to get eaten alive and so that eliminates um, you know I don't know if it eliminates but it certainly makes it harder to do some of those sort of things, and and you have a lot more positional versatility, I think, on both ends if you have that six 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 eight six eight wing rotation. Um, and I, I say wing rotation because in this system, it's basically wings and bigs. We can throw out the traditional five designation. Yeah, I think we're it's fair to do that at this in 2015 here. I, I you're making good points, and I've you know I've, I've I've we've been thinking a lot of these same things ourselves. That and I. Again, I just see it. I find it really hard to imagine them going to a place where they would even like consider starting this. Right? Like, there's there's no way they do that, right? Yeah. Let me let me add that. You guys say it's my pet project, and I agree. I get on something like this, and I latch on, and I just have fun with it, and I stick with it. <laughs> um, and if I was the coach, and I'm not an NBA coach, this is what I would do. And I think people understand that. But realistically, I will accept the fact that it's highly unlikely, nigh on impossible, that it happens. Um, but for what it's worth, a, I think no. that it's highly Im- unlikely that it starts games. I think it's yeah, pretty likely games. that it finishes games, though. At if you times. look at who's on the Jazz's roster and who you want taking shots, I don't want, quote-unquote, clutch Trey Burke out there in the last five minutes taking shots away from Hayward, Favors, Gobert, Hood, Burks, whoever. Right. Well, would it? Yeah, again, yeah. I guess it gets you get into situational stuff there. Is it, you yeah. know, if you're protecting a lead... Late in the game, maybe, maybe you, you put Millsap, defense. or maybe you put yeah. in Elijah Millsap to play with that kind of a unit. So, yeah, I think it's I think we it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I 
yeah, I should have said that I don't think it will start, but I, I think the coaching staff is very smart. They explore every avenue and every facet of the game. So you know that if so many people outside the organization are talking about it, the Jazz have probably been talking about it a lot before that. So Agreed. All right, well, Andy, we got to run, but thank you so much for joining us. Again, we can follow you on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey or uh, read your stuff on BleacherReport.com. All right, thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks, Andy. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to get more of our opinions on, on kind of this point guard lineup, uh, or no point guard lineup, excuse me. <laughs> That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. The Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Ben and I were continuing this conversation over the break on, on what we would do if we were the Jazz. And so we'll, we'll go ahead and open up the conversation to you guys. If you, Ben, if you had to name kind of a starting lineup, what would your starting five be for next season? And then what would your ending five be for next season? Because I think those can be two different answers. Yeah, and I think for me they on, on, almost for sure would be different answers. I just realize now that I'm, kind of, I'm more on the spot because I'm – I understand that there's a lot of there's a, a, a wow I can't speak but some people want for Raul Neto to end up being the starter. Hmm. I'm not there yet. It's not happening for me yet. Um, I would have Trey Burke start at the point guard position, and that's. But I realize that I'm in. I have a tougher decision at the next guard spot because I think there really is a legitimate question as to who might fit better with that starting unit out of Rodney Hood and uh, Alec Burks. I believe that Burks will start the year there because we've seen that precedent from the Jazz. They don't remove a guy's starting position based on an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'd say that's what I'd start with as well because I, I want to give Alec the benefit of the doubt as well, and he played very well in the last full season that he had, and he they just paid him a lot of money, and a, a lot of things go into that. And then, obviously, Hayward favors Gobert would be the rest of my starters. And then to close... I, I, I'm going to give a contextual caveat that, like, as I said before the break when Andy Bailey was on, if there are situations where the Jazz are maybe, you know, you're up five points with, with three minutes left in the game or something, I think I would actually probably close with Elijah Millsap and then either Hood or Burks, Fay- Hayward, and the two bigs is I, is I think how I would close it out. Um, and then if you're in a closer, you know, not winning or closer to Tide or anything like that, I think I would probably, I think I'd go with Burks, Hood, Hayward, and the Bigs as my as my closing unit because I think, and again, that has caveats because there's certain times where that's just, I don't think it's going to be tenable. Like you, I'm trying to think of a, you know, Chris Paul might be a matchup there where it's, although, you know, who do the Jazz have that can really check Chris Paul completely anyway. But, but Elijah Millsap Elijah Millsap pretty could, well. Right. So they, it, a lot of it would depend on who they're playing against, but I think there's a good chance in close games that I, I agree with you. I don't want Clutch Trey Burke out on the floor in those situations. See, and to me, uh, and I guess I'm worried about, A, uh, at the end of the game, I think you can do some cool offense-defense switching there yeah, and put right. in Elijah every defensive possession for the last minute and Alec Burks on every offensive possession, um, which I think gives you some really good flexibility there and, and honestly gives you some pretty good chances of success. The Jazz were terrible in the clutch, by the way, last season. Uh, offensively, uh, offensively mean, right? yes. Yeah. Defensively, they were pretty good, uh, but offensively, they were just awful. Uh, and I think part of that was Trey Burke's uh, shootings. I think a lot of it was Gordon Hayward's unfamiliarity with that role. I think a lot of it was play calling, to be quite honest. I agree. Um, and that the Jazz would not run their sets at the end of the games. And maybe that's just because teams started to learn them because, you know, the Jazz's offense was pretty... Vanilla. 
I wouldn't say vanilla, but it was it didn't change at all during the course yeah. of a game. You know, they had they, it was it was systematic, I guess I would say. Right. Um, but anyway, to start a game, I I don't know why you start Trey Burke and Alec Burks just because they had before, right? Like that's kind of what you're saying is I, I and I get not trusting Raul Neto at this point because we just don't know anything about him. Um, but uh, and Alec Burks again. I I don't know that he makes more sense as a starter than than Rodney Hood does. Sure, yes, he started before he went down with the injury. Yeah, but to me, I think Rodney Hood makes a better fit uh, it, with those starters with Hayward, Favors, and Gobert than than Alec Burks does because yeah. Hood's a better shooter from the outside. I think you'd agree with that. Well, Alec did shoot better... Alec did shoot thirty eight percent from deep last okay. year. Okay, what was Hood? Uh, lower than that, actually, but okay. over the over the when he started playing regularly and really found his stride, it was higher than that. So yeah, and I guess I would I would bet that Hood is a better shooter long term yeah. than Burks. I, I think, think is so. that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and defensively, I think there I think that there's a pretty big difference actually in in how Hood understands rotations and even on ball is a lot better. Yeah, I think uh, the jury's still slightly out on that one to see agreed. how Alec has developed under Quinn Snyder, but I, I think I don't disagree with anything you just said. And the other thing I'm thinking of now is especially if you are starting Trey Burke, you kind of need a guy to captain that sec- that second unit offensively, which, we, again, you can debate whether Trey did that well last year, but he did it. And I don't know how many other guys they're really like. I don't really want Joe Ingles doing that necessarily. No, I mean it'd be Rodney Hood then. It and would be he Rodney. Showed which... some ability to do that. To me, I want two guys who can actually do that. On yeah. right, and I I think I would rather have Trey Burke and Alec Burks, the Burke and Burks lineup right. in your in your starting backcourt, and that might be pretty iffy defensively. So then again, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of this is there's some interesting there's some, stuff yeah, here, and some, I think a lot questions. a lot of the crux of it for me at least is how Alec has developed defensively because yeah. and whether he fits offensively into the scheme or whether he still kind of wants to do his own thing a lot of the time. The good news is that he's been basically 100 percent healthy for the entire offseason, yeah. right? Basically since May, he's been 100 percent healthy with his shoulder, been doing general, you know, basically the same work that you'd expect any other player in the offseason to be doing. Uh, the bad news is, is I don't know how much of that it can be taught on an individual level uh, during the offseason, how much right. of defensive rotations being on a string with your teammates and that sort of thing. And of course, there have been a lot of jazz players in Zions Bank Basketball Center over the course of the summer, but I don't know if they're like working on rotations as much as working on individual parts of their games. Probably the latter, I would assume. Right. Um, and then the, the other further question that we've got just a couple minutes before the break is is going into something that Andy Bailey also mentioned is kind of the positionless uh, Golden State-esque. Milwaukee did it a lot this year, too. Sort of the ability to switch one through four or in the ideal situation, one through five, though there's very, very few teams with the personnel to pull that off. And the Jazz, I don't think, are one of them unless yeah. they go smaller with like Trey Lyles center type things down the line. Or um, Derek Favors at or center. Derek Favors and, and maybe Trey Lyles at four or so on and so forth. Anyway. Mike, the question, and we were discussing this on the break, is is the bigger concern when you're doing that sort of switching favors switching off onto a smaller guy, or is the bigger concern someone like Alec Burks switching onto a power forward, like a Blake Griffin? What, what's, what would your bigger concern there be? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's probably... It's probably the small guy switching on to the big guy, which is a little bit weird because, you know, the NBA doesn't go to the post very often anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Favors there does a pretty good job of contesting at the perimeter. 
actually far better than he did in his rookie and sophomore seasons when he was pretty bad at that. Mm-hmm. Last year, I think he showed an ability to do that, whereas I think someone like really any of the names that we've mentioned, Trey Burke, uh, Alec Burks, Raul Neto, will, will kind of get abused by fours and fives. This is part of what would make Millsap so attractive in these lineups is I don't think he gets beaten up as badly by those types of guys. I think he's Um, stronger. And I think also a lot of it, and we're getting into really deep kind of strategy here, but I think a lot of it would be situational as far as... Oh, of course. Because when teams... We saw it in the. It happens in the playoffs more and more every year. We and the 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 Cavs this past year were like maniacal about pursuing it. When a team no, when a team realizes they're going to switch this particular pick and roll every time, they'll just do it just to get the switch. They'll do it right mm-hmm. at the start of the possession, really quick, so they can get the switch immediately and then run the rest of the offensive possession from there. And I think that's the sort of thing the Jazz would have to be careful about down the line. Is if teams realize that they found a mismatch there, they just keep going to it over yeah. and over again. But if you you layer in the right sort of things there and you say, hey, the shot clock has to be at a certain point or that, you know, that has to be this personnel, so on and so forth. And I think Quinn Snyder's as good at that as anybody else is in the league. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you you know, if you're playing the Clippers, for example, and you're switching Neto onto Blake Griffin, that's going to be pretty ugly. Yeah. But if you're playing the Warriors or the, or the Suns, someone where you're switching him onto Draymond Green or onto Markeith Morris or someone like that, then obviously you have a lot better chance. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very interesting conceptual discussion. And shoot, Elijah Millsap makes it a whole lot more interesting if he can get into the mid-30s as a three-point shooter. Oh, somehow. yeah. If he, if he can be an offensive contributor, contributor, which he wasn't at all. Not really. Last no. season. And I, you know, I don't know that he has that ability, but if he can, that'd be, that'd be awesome. I, I almost want to see like, this is still my lifelong NBA dream, but I want to see like contextual starting lineups based on who the opponent is. Yeah, that would right? be like that kind yeah. of makes the most sense. It does. And you know, I think the jazz are getting to a place down the line where they could consider doing things like that. Once Trey Lyles comes into his own and once Exum is back, if Booker stays with the team past this year, they have all of a sudden the versatility is like all over the place. And you could even consider that. I love thinking about stuff like this because it's like NBA nerd. No, you're so right. And I, I think teams do it during the playoffs. I think maybe they should consider doing it during the regular yeah, season. Absolutely. Anyway, we got to take a break on the other side. We're going to be talking about the jazz's all-star chances whether or not Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert will make the All-Star team. ESPN was talking about that today. And then also whether or not Gobert can make Defensive Player of the Year. We'll talk about that next on the Salt City Hoop Show. You're listening to it on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. So, we wanted to talk about this ESPN article that came out today. Uh, was it Kevin Pelton's that? Well, there were two. There was the ESPN okay. forecast, which was like the panel that does their votes, and then Kevin Pelton did his own article right. based on his projections and such. Okay, so uh, basically both parties, both Pelton and then the whole forecast panel, were asked who's most likely to be a, a first-time All-Star next season. Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, and Gordon Hayward were not in the top 10 of either list. Yeah, and, and Pelton's was only 10 names total that he listed, and then the which I think you can forgive him for not mentioning those guys because seven of his names were from the Eastern Conference because it's just way easier to be an all-star in the Eastern Conference. But mm-hmm. then the ESPN forecast listed a whole big list of also receiving votes, which this was the part that I found the funniest by far, was that Favors got one vote, one vote, total which yeah. is less than Tony Allen and less than Ennis Cantor 
and less than Chandler Parsons and less than Michael Carter Williams. Like, oh, I just found that entertaining. Yeah, no, I mean, you you look at the names and you're right. So Derek Favors got one vote. Uh, Rudy Gobert got eight. So there were at least, and there were at least ten. I mean, how many voters do you think there were? I thought it was the a panel most of... was uh, DeAndre Jordan with thirty three votes. So at least thirty three voters. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, and yeah, Derek Favors got one. Rudy Gobert got eight. Al Jefferson has never made an All Star team, a no. which is kind of surprising. No. But B got nine votes. Hayward had six votes. Um, yeah, I mean, you just look at these numbers, and I I don't get how. You could think that Ennis Cantor is more likely to make an all-star team next year than Derek Favors. Um, or Timofey Mozgov, I can't imagine him making an all-star team. Tony Allen making an all-star team. That's ridiculous. Like, like Damari Carroll. Uh, uh, just, again, you mentioned Michael. Did you mention Michael Kidd Gil- yeah. Gilchrist? No, or I didn't Michael mention Carter him, Williams? I mentioned Michael Carter-Williams. Sorry, the, the hyphen, it's hard to keep them. The, the hyphen Michaels are hard to keep separated. Yeah. Uh, like Cody Zeller in, is in there. CJ McCollum, like I, I, I mean, I, do I can like CJ McCollum, but still, like that's uh, yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, those kind of players could make a leap, you, but I still don't see them like becoming all stars in this league. And I get, I get it that it's very hard for someone to to become an all star, right? With how many good all stars there are, you know, it's very easy to say someone should be an all star. You have to name who shouldn't be an all star. Yep, but. When you're looking at a top 10 list like this, which is making their first appearance, and Derek Favors ranks like 30th in that list, that's discouraging. Yeah, and it's just a little bit more of the whole national media doesn't pay attention to the jazz thing. I went on a little Twitter rant about that earlier. Okay, do you think that's real? No, not most of the time. <laughs> I, like, I do think that every now and then it is true that the jazz are at times less in the public consciousness than a lot of other teams, and when... It's just a natural human thing that if you're a basketball person and you see these other teams mentioned so much more often, it, your your mind is going to subconsciously gravitate towards the, the ones you see more often. Well, and remember that that's true of the voters as well. So, I mean, I, I could imagine a world in which DeAndre Jordan is voted in as a starter um, and then where he may not deserve it as as an all-star reserve. DeAndre Jordan receiving honors that he doesn't deserve? I've never heard of such a thing before. <laughs> Anyway, excuse me. Sorry, I just don't. Are you okay? Are just, you okay over there? I just and with your fake cough? Yeah, I just don't. I just <laughs> don't think DeAndre Jordan's that good. But anyway, no, that's fine. Um, so anyway, I think we should get into because I think, and I interestingly enough, we at Basketball Insiders were on top of this before ESPN was. We've been doing our series this whole Ooh. week on first-time All Stars. Um, and I wrote one for the Northwest Division, who I thought were some possible guys, and the guys I named were I named Andrew Wiggins, who I think would. Maybe be a possibility. Oh, yeah. Um, I named Serge Ibaka, who I actually think is the highest possibility in the Northwest Division, who has not been an all-star to this point. Okay. And then I named the three Jazz guys, um, being Favors, Gobert, Hayward, because I think that each of their each of them could have the Jazz's best candidacy, depending on how the year goes. Would you agree with that? That's the thing, is if the Jazz you know, show up next year and are a top six Western Conference team, which I can, I can imagine, right. then I think there will be some pressure to have a all-star um, representative on that roster. Right. A- and, yeah, then I, I think you would probably look at Gordon Hayward first, in my mind. Yeah. Maybe Rudy Gobert, because he is likely to get a lot of credit for the Jazz's success, and rightfully so. Um, and, and yeah, maybe Derek Favors is the last guy on that list. Despite, uh, I think you could make best, uh, a case that he's the best player of the three. I mean, maybe most um, consistent. I think you could definitely say he's the most consistent. I do think 
But Hayward, he's at least sexy, I think. Probably. Although, when we're talking about one of these guys making it, there's almost no question they'd be making it as a coach's vote rather than yeah. as a being voted by the fans. So sexy isn't necessarily as big of a deal there. And I think when you're looking at it from that point of view, Hayward is the most likely for that reason and because I think you could slot Hayward either as a backcourt player or a frontcourt player, which you couldn't obviously do with Gobert or Favors. And that allows a little more flexibility because the coaches have to select a certain number of each, right? Yeah. I, I wonder about that because, you know, if I'm a coach, who am I game planning for more? Am I game planning more for Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors? Probably Rudy Gobert, right? Probably, yeah. And maybe Gordon Hayward second. You know, like I think, I'm, I'm thinking about who presents me the most difficulties as a coach. And, and maybe that's a weird way to look at the voting. And, and quite frankly, probably the coaches don't do the voting. They hand it off to an intern anyway. Right. But... I think I think maybe that's not that crazy to say that Derek Favors isn't unlikely to make an all-star appearance, maybe just because of that, even though I think he is a top... I mean, I think he's a top 50 player in this league, certainly. I think he's higher um, than that, and Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can make a case that he's within the top 25, top 30 players in this league. Yeah, and uh, the, the way where I think you could see Favors start to get that love is if maybe he was the Jazz's top scorer through to the All-Star break, which I don't think is impossible. It's not yeah. likely. I think it's probably going to be Hayward. But if it's not, if if Favors starts to be even more of an offensive force, like his shooting range is even more accurate than it was last year, he's killing teams even worse on the pick and roll, things like that. Um, I think then, you know, and he's averaging like a, a silly total. So, you know, if he if he's putting up like a 20 and 11 or something like that through the All-Star break, and maybe Hayward misses some time or maybe, you know, so, a couple other factors like that, he could be the guy. But in that case, I also honestly just think that there would be less chance that the Jazz had an all-star period. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and, and I wonder if Derek Favors, I, I just, A, I wish he was in the Eastern Conference. Because, like, Paul Millsap is, is now a two-time all-star. Yeah. I think deservedly so. Um, but maybe, you know, if he adds a three-point shot that he's we've been talking about, yeah. like Paul Millsap did, that kind of gives him an additional dimension that maybe makes him more appealing to, to make an all-star team. Um, you know, I, I could see that happening. It'd probably have to be something like that. Gobert, on the other hand, now it, it's incredibly unlikely, like basically impossible probably, but he's the only name that has even like a slight chance of getting enough fan votes to even be in the conversation. Again, Almost certainly yeah. impossible because of the guys that we know that get those votes. Um, but, it, you know, say Gobert started blocking three and a half shots a game through Five. the All-Star break or something like that, which, like, that's not impossible yeah. for Rudy Gobert. No, I like, think it'd have to be more than three and a half. You know, yeah, like, three like and four and a half, plus shots I think a game. it has to be, like, yeah, and he has to be on SportsCenter a lot, and yeah. he has to... Um, start dating Utah-based supermodels. You know, like I, I, you know, is like, any of this out of the question? No, <laughs> fine. Um, very, very unlikely. But then I think your but point. All of them was, have to happen. That's true. Yeah, all <laughs> of them together would have to happen. No, but I think your point about uh, you know you maybe you're right and maybe most coaches don't actually do this themselves. But I actually like to think that most of them do because it's an honor for them to be the coach of the All Star Game. It means you've done a really good job with your team, right? And sure, but they they just give the the coach who has the best record at that. Yeah, point. I know, but that means you've done a good job, right? To have your For team sure. be in that spot, and I think it's you know, it's only a few guys, and I think the most coaches, not maybe not all of them, but most of them recognize, like I do, that this stuff is important for a player's legacy down the line, and that it maybe it's not the most important thing to these NBA players, but it does mean something to them. 
Yeah. And it, it, you know, being so, we saw it means something to Derek Favors that he wasn't invited to Team USA minicamp, even though he probably wasn't going to make that team. Like, it it bugged him that he didn't get there. But I I think they are imperfect evaluators. You know, whether it's the coaches or the interns who are making the actual votes, I think you look at, you know, like the, the, for example, the outcome of, and this is actually not the coaches nor the interns, but like the the Players Award ceremony that we mentioned last month, uh, where they voted DeAndre Jordan as Defensive Player of the Year. You know, stuff like that where, you know, we look at the stats and say, you know, we're pretty we're pretty sure that he's not. But because of the hype that he gets, because of uh, the market that he plays in and Doc Rivers um, caping for him, essentially, you know, like I I think I think that's a thing that happens to coaches and interns, too. Yeah. But where I was going with that was that I think your point earlier about. You know, this is the guy that gives us the most trouble when we're game planning this. Like when we're sitting in tape, watching tape on this team, we're always like, okay, it's Gobert that you got to look at. It's Gobert you got to look at. Mm-hmm. I actually think that I didn't think of that before, and I think that could really play to a point. Like that's not going to be the final decision point or anything. But if they're close between, if they're if maybe if it is a situation like you say where there's a lot of outside pressure for a Jazz guy to make the team because they're doing really well, and they're looking between a Hayward and a Gobert, for example. And they say, well, okay, you know who we already got on this team? We already got Kevin Durant. We already got Russell Westbrook, and we are, you know, we got a bunch of ball handlers, a bunch of wings, and things like that. Probably Kawhi Leonard. But we do we have a guy that's going to swat shots into the second row in the All Star game, which you know Rudy Gobert will do absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it could be. I, I think that would be his best way of sneaking in. So let's look at the Western Conference players who were named for uh, ahead of them in this this NBA list, okay. and both the the forecast panel and Kevin Pelton's. Right, DeAndre Jordan, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, then you you scroll down. Draymond Green. I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, Mike Conley. I think again deserves to be there. Uh, Wiggins. And Wiggins is above uh, Rudy Gobert in the Pelton list, but not in. The the forecast panel list. Oh no, he is. He is in the forecast panel. Have I missed it? Yeah, Wiggins is sixth on that oh, forecast yep. panel okay. list. I just scrolled too quickly, but yeah. you're right. So it's Wiggins, Conley, and uh, that's it. Right. So well, uh, and those for the first two, DeAndre and Draymond. No, I I, I think that's fair. Uh, right. So there are four people above them, right. and you know, I. A, who would you take right now in a vacuum, DeAndre Jordan or Rudy Gobert? Gobert. Okay, it's not even close. Okay. I don't understand why that's a debate between people. Like that's <laughs> listen, I offensively I understand maybe maybe Jordan is more of a threat more of a lob threat. He's probably the best lob threat in the entire league. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But Rudy Gobert is not not a lob threat. Like no. he, he definitely is one of the better guys as far as that goes. He's a better passer, he's a better much, much better free throw shooter, which I think is a huge thing that people really overlook. DeAndre Jordan is a massive liability as a free throw shooter. Yeah. Gobert is not perfect, but he shoots like twenty percent better from the free throw line More than, than, that. Than, than DeAndre Jordan. And as a defender, sorry, it's not close. I really don't think it's close. Rudy Gobert is a significantly better defender than DeAndre Jordan overall. Brayden Anderson chiming in on Twitter. Darren got so much love, Darren Williams, because uh, he was in the convo of being the best at his position. Rudy will get that all-star love when he is. Also, when he when he will get talked about as one of the best centers in the league. So, I think he already gets talked about as one of the best centers in the league. I don't know. I think Brayden brings up a good point that he's not. I, I don't know that people mention him in, in that list. I think, he, I think you can make a case that he is, and certainly I think he's at least top two rim protector. Um, but I think he just needs to add more offensively. You know, if you're if you're getting shut down offensively by like Darrell Wright, for example, like we saw in the Portland game at the end of the last regular season, I think that shows maybe 
All-Stars don't really get shut down by Darrell Wright. But DeAndre, I mean, how much more could DeAndre Jordan have done in those matchups than what Rudy Gobert did? I think a fair amount more. But by doing what? Like, what could, could he have gone into the post? DeAndre doesn't go in the post. He can't do Does that. Does a little bit. I mean, and I And think, then you just foul him and make him shoot free throws if he's actually going into the right. post. Right, I mean, sure. But, and I think he... DeAndre also can go through those that kind of intentional foul sometimes where he will make the shot and make it an and one situation. I, I, I think you're discounting DeAndre, and, and understandably so, but I think you're discounting him a little bit too much because uh, he is, uh, in my mind, he's a, a helpful offensive contributor in a way that Rudy Gobert isn't at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm fair. I'm fine with conceding that DeAndre is more impactful offensively than Rudy Gobert is, but not by anywhere close to how much more impactful Rudy is defensively, in my opinion. And that's where I think most commentators would disagree with you, right? I mean, obviously, you you look at the results of the Defensive Player of the Year voting, et cetera, and, and people would think that's pretty neck and neck. And I, I based in this is not basing this on my Homer tendencies. This is based on the, the smart people I talk to. I think that dis, the, the, there would be a lot of disagreement about that among people who really, really watch the game and are really in-depth about the game. Yeah. That, that I don't think it's really too close between those two. But anyway, we've been on this for a second. What I wanted to do is go through the guys that made the All-Star team last year and who we assume are going to make it this year. Because like, okay. there are a number of, barring injuries, locks, like guys yeah. that are going to make it. And the guys I had written down as those guys, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Russ Westbrook, Blake Griffin, Marcus Saul, LaMarcus Aldridge, DeMarcus Cousins, James Harden, Chris Paul. That's 10. Cool. Would you, assuming health, do you think any of those guys could drop out? I think maybe the only one would be Aldridge if he doesn't play enough. I would in, also say Cousins, because if that Kings roster is a mess, then no coach is going to vote him in. Right. So, and then the others... In the same way that he wasn't last year. Yeah. Well, he made it as a replacement, right? right? Yeah. But, um, then the other that I think would be a near lock, barring injury, would be Kawhi Leonard. Um, uh, probably, right? Yeah, I, I well, I don't know, and because he wasn't okay. Why is he a lock this season and not last season? Because he was hurt for a. That's yeah. why he didn't make it last <laughs> okay, year. Because he was hurt. Um, I, I think unless he's hurt again or unless he has a real drop off, there that he's probably got to make it. Okay. He, um, so that's you know anywhere from eight to eleven right there is yeah. what we just got. And the rest of those guys, I think, are like complete locks if, as long as they're healthy. But there are so many other good names there, too, that I aren't know. in that list. I mean, Damian Lillard, Tim Duncan, uh, I mean, Kobe Bryant it's, may very well get a fan vote. He's, and I've, um, that's, I, man, I'm going to be so sad this year if he again refuses to give up the spot because, <laughs> be, like, he was, I think he had to give it up last year because he got hurt, but he was going right. to, he was saying, I'm not giving up the spot. Right. Otherwise, no, if like, he gets dude, voted and he's gone. Like, give me a break, man. Like, there, these guys deserve to be here and you okay, don't. Okay, but next, uh, A, Kobe Bryant has never, ever, ever realized that. Never has he, he's never once thought, I don't belong as one of the best players in the NBA. True. From the time he was 16 years old until even old, ancient Kobe with no Achilles tendons left like he he still thinks that he's a top five maybe the the greatest player in the nba yeah he probably does so, and that's not even all the guys there's more guys clay thompson made it last year we weren't even considering him as part of our locks yeah and he probably gets voted in over gordon hayward well again but those it's not going to come down to votes for that it'll come down to a coach's decision, okay not, you're right not might voted depend in, who the but, coach uh, is yeah of okay, course the fair. coach might be steve kerr so but <laughs> it's not it's not voted on by steve kerr it's voted on by all of the coaches Oh right, of course. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of it wrong. I was th- I was thinking of it the wrong way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and then there's Mike Conley. There's Dwight Howard. There's Wiggins. There's uh, Draymond Green. 
There's DeAndre, who we didn't, who we were talking about. There's Dwight, or I said Dwight, excuse me. There's Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki, who could end up getting a legacy vote really easily. When you break it down, it's going to take a serious performance from one of these Jazz guys to get in there. And I think you're right. I think the Jazz would probably have to be in that top six-ish range of the West by the time the voting is happening to have a, a really good shot at getting, unless one of these guys leaps off the page and has like a, a legitimate huge jump from where they were last year. Put odds on it. What are the chances that there's a Jazz man in the All-Star game next year? I'd probably I'd probably say like 5-1 to one against or yeah. four to one against. I really, so like I actually, 20%. I don't think it's too likely, honestly, because that you 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 want to think that it's likely because they're going to be one of the ascendant teams and they've got three really good players and so on and so forth. But then you look like we just did down the roster and which of those guys do they vote out? Like, how do any of those guys? Like, are the coaches really going to vote Rudy Gobert over Tim Duncan? I don't know. Even if Rudy is way no. better, even if Rudy's way better, there's a <laughs> chance they don't do that. Everybody loves Timmy so much that like I yeah. I agree. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. Go ahead. We, I think we wanted to get briefly into the Defensive Player of the Year chances for Gobert. And my first question to you is, is he the favorite coming into the year? Uh, uh, hmm. And if not, who is? Maybe Kawhi again, right? Could be Kawhi again. My other thoughts were maybe Anthony Davis or maybe Draymond. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Or DeAndre. Yeah, I guess. Again, people who got more votes from some parties than Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Like I, I think, yeah, yeah I, it's a real question. I don't know if if Rudy Gobert plays the whole season, then it's a lot of the worries of his candidacy last year go away. But you know, I I, I would take the field over Rudy Gobert certainly. Um, I I think Kawhi might be the best best option there. He could end up being. Although I I do wonder whether. We hear about voter fatigue. I wonder if that might even be yeah. heightened with a wing player winning defensive player, which is a pretty okay. rare thing. Like, you don't see it that much. I might also recently. say Draymond, because now that they've won the championship, I think people's opinion of his defense has even continued to, to grow. Yeah, is although it was pretty high. Didn't he, win, didn't he get yeah, fourth? I, mean, he got, Wasn't he, I thought he was second. It was maybe he was second and DeAndre was... I thought DeAndre was second and he was fourth and Gobert was third. I don't exactly Okay, remember. something like that. Yeah. Um... I think it's really interesting, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm of course going to be picking Rudy for Defensive Player of the Year in all my various like preseason picking things that I do. I and I, th- I think that he, that he would, like he would care about it if it came down oh, to it. Yeah. Oh, he would totally care. Like if there's a matchup at the end of the season between him and DeAndre Jordan or yeah. something, they're like having a block contest just yeah. to just to see who's best. Like that's that's just who Rudy Gobert is as a person. Yeah. Which is uh, man, I just I've and we were we put this on our list to get into. These, yeah. Let's the, let's get into it. Uh, just their favorites are incredible. Yeah, they really are. Um, you can go down the line. So, I, and I got into the topic because I've had a tweet or two of mine favorited by each of Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors within the past week. So, the other, I'm gonna, I'll start the other day. The, these the, the these are favorites tweet. on Twitter, by the way. Favorites on Twitter. Yeah. The other day on Friday, I believe it was last week, I was on Twitter and I was wondering, and this is a, a frequent discussion you hear: who has the higher ceiling out of Gobert and Nerlens Noel, who are probably the two, the top two picks from that 2013 draft, as far as how they've turned out. Mm-hmm. And pe- people responded, and because I asked my followers what they thought, we went back and forth. I gave my opinions, which were that right now Gobert is clearly better; he's clearly done more in the league. And if I had to pick a guy for the next ten years, I would pick Gobert because there's no guarantee of a guy like Noel hitting his ceiling, right? But, but. 
My final tweet of the segment, in parentheses, was I think Noah has a slightly higher ceiling. Which I don't I do. see how. Why? Why do you think that? By because the way? I think because I totally disagree. I think his offensive ceiling is is high enough, enough, higher by enough that it that it 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 separates them a little. And I I'm why. What do you mean, why? Why do you think his offensive ceiling is better? I think he has more potential as a shooter, not ever like a distance shooter, but as like a guy who can shoot free throw. Like they already have roughly the same free throw percentage, and he's two years younger. So why? Uh, yeah, okay. And just in general, I, I don't want to get too deep on that because we only got a couple minutes left to discuss the favorites. But <laughs> the only tweet in that entire segment that Rudy Gobert favorited was that last one in parentheses. I literally sent like seven or eight tweets about how awesome I think Rudy Gobert is right before that. He favorited the one where I said I thought one other guy's ceiling, not even right now, one other guy's ceiling was slightly higher. See, and I, I just, I, A, I disagree with you that his ceiling is higher because I think We've seen Rudy Gobert be more fluid offensively, and I think you can make. I, I I think you can make a case that Noel's jump shot might be better in in the end. But I think we could see more from Rudy Gobert. Like we've seen, we haven't ever seen Nerlens Noel do like a a floater, for example, or we haven't seen him do a um, finger roll at the late at you know on in transition. We've and, seen and Rudy do like four of those in real NBA play. Okay, but we've seen him do it. Like if if yeah. you're count, if you're looking at what his potential is. I'm giving that to Rudy Gobert rather than than Nerlens Noel, right? That's fair. And I I said I thought I thought it was by a very small amount. And yeah, the other, but the other but part I'm of this is that we have, all. the I other said. part is that we haven't seen Nerlens Noel play with competent offensive teammates, and we no. have seen Rudy Gobert do that. No, um, I'm but taking then, Rudy's side on this. I'm favoriting that tweet if I'm Rudy okay, Gobert. Come, hey. I'm like I'll show you, Ben. And this by Nerlens the way, Noel guy ain't nothing. Is there a chance that I'm saying things just to potentially have Rudy Gobert notice them and use them as motivation? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm doing. Who knows? Anyway, today I saw this ESPN forecast thing and looked at all the players that got more votes. I was alerted by Jeff Mack, actually, on Twitter, who's a good follow, mm-hmm. um, and noticed all these guys that got more votes than favors as a potential first-time All-Star, and I went ahead and listed them and sent two tweets to that effect, and Derek favorited both of those, which I think, first of all, both of these are notable because neither of these guys follows me. Which no. so I think it's interesting. Although because, you did you did mention Derek Favors fourteen and right, these tweets. I meant so. it more. For, I meant it more for Rudy because I was not using Rudy's tag yeah. when I did that. He's just either he has me on a list. I doubt it, or he's actually just looking around for his name on Twitter and looking at those convert. Or maybe he has me on a list. I'd be honored, Rudy, if you have me on a list. I'm not sure, but in either regardless of what the case is, I think it's awesome that these guys, especially Rudy, have a bit of a chip on their shoulder and that they'll t- they can find these things as motivation because that I I just think that's great that there's there's you know and not to say that lots of NBA players probably aren't like that but I like that these guys are open about it and that they're they're upfront about we're the best front court in this league we believe that we're going to prove it and we're going to stick it in your faces when we prove it yeah i mean and i think we've seen more of that from Rudy Gobert's personality publicly than right. we have from Derek Favors mm-hmm. but you're right like this has been kind of an undercurrent for this summer from from Favors uh whether that be the tweets that you mentioned or uh he tweeted the Rudy Gobert or favorited the Rudy Gobert tweet did Derek Favors retire when the NBA didn't announce him as part of this USA basketball mini camp that we talked about uh, Derek F- and then some David J. Smith tweets of of Salt City Hoops, 14th in PR, 8th in field goal percentage, et cetera, et cetera. He's really, really good and is still overlooked. He's, you know, Derek is liking these tweets. I, I think it, it means something that he's, you know, he feels overlooked as well. Yeah. Anyway, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk about this more as well as the Jazz's 2016 offseason, believe it or not, talking about next summer and how much free agents cap space the Jazz have. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. 
Talking Hoops and the Association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Uh, Andy Larson here joining you alongside Ben Dowsett. As always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. We wanted to talk a little bit about the Jazz's uh, salary cap situation for next offseason. Mostly, A, because I'm writing an article about it at this point, and it's, it's something to talk about. It should be up on KSL.com tomorrow, um, assuming I get it done tonight. <laughs> and then, uh, quite honestly, it's just it's crazy to me, right? Like, By the way, while I'm making a KSL plug, I started a new podcast this week uh, called the KSL Court Report. Basically, it's 20 minutes of me talking about the jazz um whenever news deserves it so in this case it was the jeff with news check that out if you haven't already the the ksl court reports to your itunes my twitter account i might be on it sometimes yeah no that's true. KSL too. we're gonna be doing co-hosts yeah you'll be my co-host sometimes and sometimes it'll be spencer hall founder of salted hoops and so on and so forth but speaking, by the way, sorry, real quick, we had a tweet. Speaking of Jeff Withy, uh, we had a tweet from J Money Sports said the passion really shows when you can have a semi heated debate about Jeff Withy, which is hey, that's true. You can tell we care too much about this team when we just had that, that passionate debate. No, it, it matters, yo. It yeah. does. Uh, it does. Not a lot. <laughs> but anyway, I, now we're going to have a heated debate about the 2016 offseason. I don't know how much of a debate this will be. Yeah, I think we but probably agree. More. I just think that it's incredible what's what the jazz have put together and actually they've kind of painted themselves into a little bit of a corner next season. Yeah. So next season they have $63 million, $63.5 million in contracts they can give. So that's guaranteed and unguaranteed money amongst 18 different players. <laughs> okay. A so, couple of whom are almost sure to be gone even before this year. Well, starts. they have to be because they have to make the 15 salary cap n- or the roster c- number by October, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they're not going to have 18 players in the next offseason. But if you look at the guarantees and kind of the rookie contracts all out in there, too, because, you know, the Jazz aren't going to like accidentally not re up Rudy Gobert on his rookie contract or yeah. something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, they have 11 players who they're going to have for around uh, $55 million or so. Okay? Okay. So the What's the salary the cap going to be next year, The salary Andy? cap next year is going to be $90 million, <laughs> according to NBA projections. Basketball insiders uh, basically projected that they're going to have about $30.5 million in cap space. But it's not even that. Like, that's a lot of cap space. That's a mind-blowing amount of cap space. But they're going to have to spend like $20, $21 million just to get to the cap floor. Now let's explain real briefly to the folks what happens if you don't get to the cap floor. It's actually not the worst thing no. that's ever happened. You all just what, have all to, that, yeah, you were going to say. You just have to pay all of those money, uh, all of that money to the players who are cur- currently on the roster. So evenly, like, evenly divvied, correct? Not necessarily. You can actually oh, really? decide how that, <laughs> get, that, that. gets split up. I, I, I don't think it's evenly distributed. Otherwise, like... It could be a way for general managers to just take out some long-known grudge on a, on a particular player. Just yeah. like, you're getting $3 of this new money. Well, so the NBA's players union would have to agree to it, essentially, right? Ah, so, like, okay. you can't just be like, hey... Jack Cooley, great news, you're making 20 mil. You can't, you can't do that. But, you know, if you wanted to do it, like, by minutes played or something, maybe right. the NBA Players Union would be okay with that. Okay. Um, but I'm pretty sure, like, you can decide how the, it gets distributed. Okay. Anyway, 
that's a waste of money, right? Like, obviously, Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert and the rest of the Jazz's roster is rooting for an extra check at the end of next year. <laughs> but the Jazz think it's probably a waste of money. And those players would, if they, if the Jazz could make their team better and they could win some more games, I'm pretty sure Derek would be fine with his 12 million if they could, if they also were making the playoffs and whatnot. Maybe that's true. Um, so anyway, what do you do with 20 million dollars that you kind of have to use it or lose it? And during yeah. next offseason, it does put you in a bit of a weird position in that if you're if you're having to almost force yourself to go after guys and maybe even to overpay guys just because you you almost have to. A couple guys I identified that could at least be realistic targets for the Jazz who will be unrestricted free agents. Nicholas Batum, I think, could be an interesting guy to look at. He knows Rudy Gobert really well from the French team. Uh, you could look at an Ersan Ilyasova type or uh, Mirza Toledovic. Those guys are similar-ish type of players, right? I mean, neither of those are making up $20 million in cap yeah. space, but you could look at them as a guy. Eric Gordon was one I looked at who, like, maybe if you don't get what you're looking for from Alec Burks this year, you think about bringing in another guy that, that can handle the ball and that can, play, that can shoot maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wheeling off the top I'm of my head I'm not sold here. on Eric Gordon. Um, and then the other one that I was interested in was a guy like a Bradley Beal or a Harrison Barnes. If you have all but, that money, what's, the necess- what's necessarily the downside in throwing a massive – potentially poison pill type offer at one of those guys. And if, you know what, if their team matched, then maybe you make, you made that team take a, a deal they wouldn't have loved to take. But both of those teams, A, they're, those are, uh, I don't know if they're, both of those teams are going to keep those players, in my mind. Probably. Bradley Beal, definitely. Harrison Barnes, if you, A, are you going to throw a max at Harrison Barnes? And B, is, and I know that you have to use this money or lose it in 2016-17, but now you're talking about paying him $20 million plus for the next three years after that, and I'm, right. I'm not that stoked on that. And the other side of this that we were talking about before we came on here is the fact that the Jazz know that starting the following year, not starting next year, but starting the following year, is when they have to start giving big money to some of their other guys. Gobert is the first. They have to give Gobert, yeah. uh, they're going to have to max him yes. for his for his second contract. And then... Uh, Gordon Hayward's probably opts out of its deal at that point as well. Right. Um, And with that in mind, I'm wondering if there's a chance that, and now of course the Jazz are going to kick the tires on all of the guys that might legitimately make their team better, but I think there is a full possibility, and I'm sure we'll learn more about this as the year goes on and into next summer, I think there's a legitimate possibility that they would sit below the salary floor with the knowledge that not only do they have to get Gobert extended, not only do they probably have to give Hayward a new max max, like a huge max deal, but I think there's a pretty good chance that they're going, and this would be a discussion for a future time, but I think they're going, there's a good chance they're going to try and renegotiate the final year of Derek Favors' contract and extend him before he hits the market, which they would have to have the cap space to do in summer of 17, even though his contract comes up in summer of 18. Sure. And if that's the case and they know all those things are coming up, I think they might prioritize doing that over overspending on a guy who they couldn't, who was going to potentially tie that room up in future years. Can't you find someone to give a one-year $20 million contract to, though? Like, that's actually a use thought. use that money, right? No, that's totally a thought. Like, maybe an Eric Gordon type would, let's say he has a weird year. Yeah. Like that, and he and he's just wants some money really fast. Like the dream, by the way, is Mike Conley, um, who's a free mm. agent in, in the summer of 2016, and I think that's someone who you'd like to give long term money to. But maybe there are some guys out there who say are betting on themselves and want to get a max at the 110 million dollar right. cap that's going to be in 2017, rather than just the 90 million dollar cap that's going to be in 2016. 
That's yeah, you know, that's an interesting thought, and that's that might be a route they look at, and they may even send out. You may see them send out feelers to agents and be like, "Hey, listen, we're on the market, but we're on the market for these for short deals because we have all these guys we need to extend in the future." There's there's got to be someone helpful out there that you can give twenty million dollars to. <laughs> like the Jazz have this problem. Like literally, whoever will take this twenty million. That's kind of what you'd have to do, right? Is have twenty million dollars out there in the marketplace and be like, best player who wants this money, go ahead and take it. Because you're right that in 2017, you want to save that money for Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, and, and Gordon Hayward, and eventually Exum potentially if he and, works out how you want him yeah, to. Yeah, I mean Dante Exum's the next year after that, but right. you're right. Then you, you have to worry about money for him. In, in 1819 mm-hmm. so yeah i mean to me i, I almost think that's that's kind of what they have to do is is say 20 million dollars who wants it yeah it's it's a really it's, interesting it's a crazy thing. thing that this salary cap rising has done by yeah. the way to the league 27 out of NBA, of 30 nba teams next year will have enough to offer a max contract wow i think i yeah i yeah that's right I do. Right. I still. I. I know that you're. You're. Ta- it's a. It's a very low proposition gamble that you're doing. But I. I would think about a guy like Bradley Beal, who Washington's cap is kind of crowded. Just... That Washington's cap is kind of crowded, and he's got a big cap hold. And but you know they're going to be crowded a, under a ninety million dollar yeah, cap. Yeah, they've they've up. got like eighty or or something like that on the books. I'm I'm well, looking at it. Cares? They've got. They've got, let's see. They've got 60 oh, never for mind. next year. Oh, yeah, they've, they're, it's a lot lower for Bradley next year. Bradley Beal, yeah. I didn't realize Because Nene goes off their books. Well, but what's Beal's cap hold? So it's, it's probably it's like, like 14 or something. No, oh, it's the, 12. The cap hold is bigger, yeah. 11 and a half. Okay, but so you're right. But then like uh, Chris Humphreys goes off their cap and, and Jared Dudley and Alan Anderson. Actually, and, Nene's and cap hold Drew is in, Nene's cap hold, if they, unless they renounce but Nene. But they'll renounce him if they want to sign Bradley Beal. Uh, well, A, they don't have to renounce him in order to sign Bradley Beal. Well, but I'm talking about if they're looking at a Durant pursuit, which we assume they oh. are. And if if you think that they're doing that, and you assume a guy like Durant takes his time making the decision, kind of like LeBron did when he a, a few years or last year, then I think you could. There are worse ideas than throwing some kind of a poisonous type offer at that and saying and forcing that team to. And the but worst it, that happens is that you've screwed up something for another team. But which it's is the never Wizards. Bad. Like nobody cares if we screw up things for the Wizards. They're or, not a Western Conference. Or a similar thing with Golden State, if you wanted to do it for a guy like Harrison Barnes, who I agree, I maybe you more. don't, maybe you don't max a player like him. But if you throw in something that's got options that they don't want at the end of a deal like that, Una, I like I'm I'm spitballing to a certain point here, but I think that that's at least something that you could look at doing with your mind. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe that team is just like actually okay, you can have him. A, the Wizards are going to renounce him a in order to sign in order to open up the cap room for Kevin Durant because if they don't, they're stupid. Yeah, that's true. Right. I mean, one of yeah. those players is Kevin Durant. That's definitely true. Um, and they do have enough money so that they can sign Kevin Durant to his max and Bradley Beal to his max, according to Zach Lowe. So, okay. I think that's what they do, and no matter what offer you're throwing to Bradley Beal, he just won't take it. He just won't. I mean, even or he'll take it, and then the They'll Wizards will max, which would actually match. be a maybe match even, that max. might even be favorable for them. And so, I mean, be wouldn't it be favorable that the, you could maybe do like a two plus one where they get him for less overall years? Sure, but they but could get him cares? for less. They could get him for less money. Why are you tying up your salary cap space for three days on a guy that you know the Wizards are going to match? Yeah, I guess I don't know. I've just I. It, 
I'm I'm spitballing to a point. Like I think no, that and that's that's true. Like we do have to spitball these ideas because again, the Jazz have so much money, and it's not clear who to, what they'll use it on. Heck, I might be more interested to see how this affects the Jazz's trade deadline this this season because yeah, now they point. know they they can pay because they can pay a lot of money for the rest of this year as well. You know, mm-hmm. they've got between five and ten million dollars in cap space for the rest of the year. Plus. If they go over the cap but not up to the tax, that's okay. And then they'll have, like I said, 20 to $30 million in cap space in 2016-17. They could take a big contract on yep. either in the form of a real contributor or in terms of just getting more assets. Yeah, they could take a dump on that. That actually starts to look more and more realistic when you think about it as taking on a big dump. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was in, I think We're I just, just said something inappropriate the on the radio. laughing. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Um, well, I think we got to go to break in a second. But <laughs> yeah. I'm really, in, I'm really intrigued by what they, how the Jazz are going to kind of manage this and whether they're not going to mind sitting some amount of million below the salary floor. We got to take a break just to make you stop saying dump. <laughs> All right. And indeed, we do have to take a break. On the other side, we've got the return of LOL Lakers plus some sad news in, in the NBA land. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome in back into the Salt City Hoop Show for our final segment. Um, who's ready for some LOL Lakers? We only have one thing to do today for LOL Lakers, but, you know, that's fair. There's not often LOL Lakers news this late in the offseason. Cue the music. All right. Yucky sacks. Yay. The Lakers. I don't even have a tweet up. Just the news itself is, is brilliant. Yeah. The Lakers are interested in signing former forward Meta World Peace. The character also known as Ron Artest. I, I just... Just the general idea of thinking of a team with him, Kobe Bryant, Nick Young, <laughs> all on the same, and Lou Williams, all on the same team, and the likelihood that that team is going to be terrible, which they probably will be. Yeah. I, I I, mean, my comment when I first saw that was that the Jazz's first home game against the Lakers is like mid-January, and that I don't even know if all the, all four of those guys will make it until mid-January. Oh, no. I think, A, you bet half of them are injured. Yeah. Meta World Peace hasn't even been good in China. Like, okay, he's been good, but not by, like, Chinese basketball league standards. Has he not? I haven't really no, paid it. Like, That's the thing, is I have not had Meta World Peace on my radar at all. Guys put up crazy stats over there, and he has not been a crazy stat guy. Um, the other thing is, like, he's wearing panda shoes. Like, <laughs> legitimate plushy things on his shoes over there. Like, this, he's not... He's, are people like? Are they actually? Are the Lakers legitimately thinking that he might be like a a role model type for their younger guys that they've brought in? Is there a I, chance I, of that? I mean, he did win the NBA Citizen of the Year award. Don't forget. Okay. <laughs> like I, uh, I somebody don't think asked that's me. It. Somebody asked me this in my Basketball Insiders chat yesterday. Is like, what's going on with this Meta World Peace thing? And I barely knew what to say because it was because I have no idea. And, and word is that there are people in the organization who love that idea and people in the organization who hate it. Uh, that sounds about right for the Lakers. Should be, but who, yeah, who in the organization loves it? Because it's probably Jim Bus. Jim Bus, <laughs> <laughs> who, by the way, we saw in Vegas at 3 a.m. Uh, yeah. playing the Kiss slot machine. I think I stole that story <laughs> earlier on, you know, closer to the summer league. But yeah, I mean, he's only Laker got like fans. a year, he's only got like a year left before his sister boots him out anyway, right? Uh, so that's true. Why not just Unless bring the whole band back together? I mean, Where's Andrew Bynum? What's he doing? 
Oh, you're right. I actually feel the Andrew Bynum thing, by the way, I'm kind of shocked that it happened. Like, you watch Andrew Bynum's play and, and his stats when he Early was Early on, yeah. They were, he was pretty good. Like, I, I didn't think it would be so easy to fall apart so so quickly. The fragile state of the human mind. Yes. And um, the human body, I guess. Yeah. A little bit of both, I think, with him. Anyway. That's all we got yes. for the LOL. But Thank it was. You. I still think it's like that's a that's a pretty funny single element. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely. I, I just the Lakers are a mess right now. And it's. Great. Do you think Mitch Kupchak is a good GM? That's a really interesting question that I don't know that I can answer in a yes or no. Like because, I mean, Mitch Kupchak was the GM when they did all that. Like, the, at the time, that Dwight trade was a coup for them. Like that oh, was a yeah. really no, good that was trade. A great trade. When they did the stuff they had to give up to get one of the five at the time, one of the five best players in the NBA. I like that, that was yeah, absolutely. He did that. The Odom thing was good when he got Odom. The yep. Gasol trade was a, at the time again was a fleecing it was and great. it won them two championships in part. And then you look at the last few years and you you think about like what are you know what are some of the more egregious moves that they've done? Well, the Kobe contract I think is the biggest one by yeah, far. But I, I think it was clear that that was ownership. You know, I right. I don't attack him for that as much as maybe not getting the best role players as as he could have. Yeah. Um. But then again, like I don't know about that either because like he signed Kendall Marshall, who is one of your guys, and like, and worked out well for them. You know, I, I think he was a big contributor, and even like uh. I I think he's pulled some actually decent minutes out of guys who were undervalued by NBA standards, like Jordan Hill, for example, yeah. who, you know, I, I think people didn't think he would play this many minutes in an NBA uniform. Clarkson was a good pick. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And I, you, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Also, it's tough to separate some of the bigger stuff he's done from ownership, which yeah. in that case, how do you judge him necessarily? Because we don't even know if it was if he was forced into doing it. Well, and I think it's fair. You can. Especially with him, it's hard to say how much of this is L.A. and, and the market they're in and how much of it is his GMing skill. You know, right. like Dwight Howard, I think, forced his way into a big market yeah. and L.A. was one of those. You know, obviously did a wish, say, Shaquille O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I like to look at the rest of the roster and say, you know, are you doing well on the low end as well? Are you doing well with your draft picks at the end of the draft? Are you doing well with acquiring good role players around those players? And I, I think Cupjack has for the most part. Yeah, and he's really well respected around the league. I know that. Yeah. So probably yes. So uh, yeah, I, I I think I'm going yes, but it's it's an interesting little thought question as we think about why the Lakers are so bad. Now, okay, next question is who chose Byron Scott as their coach? Because yeah. if it was Kupchak, that's that's, that's not a, a good decision. Not a good thing. But if it was Jimmy Buss, then it's just another Jimmy Buss decision. Yeah, very true. But, All right. Well, we had one more slightly negative uh, bit of stuff. Not negative, but well, just sad. Oh, sad. Yeah, just yeah. sad. Uh, Daryl Dawkins died today at the age of sixty, or sorry, fifty-eight. Uh, family says it was a heart attack. Daryl Dawkins was awesome. I, I you know, I, I'll be honest. Daryl Dawkins was before my time. So I was going to say we are good... on. This is a podcast where the two people in it lived for exactly one combined year during which Daryl Dawkins played in the NBA. Yes, and that was the, his Utah Jazz year, I believe. Right? No, no, that was that... his last year. Well, seventy-seven or eighty-seven, eighty-eight. I was born in July of eighty-eight. So no, I wouldn't have been okay. alive yet by the time he was with. That the was because there was one season after that. Yeah, where, he played okay. one year after that, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. He did so. play twenty-six minutes. Is that right in a Jazz uniform? Uh, uh, and yep, twenty-six scored six points, I believe. Six points, two assists, five rebounds, two of them offensive. Shot, shot 
Actually, Shaw throws and made four of them. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, not brilliant. Not the best. No, but he was a dunker. He that guy could dunk the ball yes. like nobody's business. Yeah, I mean, first of all, that they changed the rims because of him is pretty cool, right? Like, that's How many did he shatter? Just two, I think, just in the NBA play. Okay. Um, there is the story that, and, and this is possibly uh, more of a story than it is fact. Right. Apocryphal, as they say. Mm. But that one time the Sixers were, they couldn't go to their normal practice facility, so they actually had to go to a high school gym and do their practice. And the high school gym was cold and drafty. The floor was uneven. Just generally no one wanted to be there. So instead of practicing, Daryl Hawkins was like, well, I can take care of this, and just shattered the backboards <laughs> by dunking on him. Like, yeah, well, guess we can't practice here. Guess we can't have practice. Bummer. Yeah, I mean, as someone Chocolate who is... Chocolate Thunder, they called him. Yeah, Chocolate Thunder was the nickname. You seen it? You can tell how well he... It's This sounds weird to say, but you can tell how well respected someone was by the response from, from people around the league, and it mm. was universal today. There was a... And, you know, not that everybody doesn't shout out someone when, they, when something happens to them, but I think there were a lot of really kind words for him, and I saw stories like those getting shared all over Twitter and things like that. I had little experience with him because he was way, way, way before my basketball time. But, yeah, he's one of those guys you look back on historically and you're like, that was it's good that he was in the NBA, right? Yeah. He made it fun. Have fun in Planet Love Tron, Daryl Hawkins. Yeah. Anyway, that's our show for today, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can check out the recording of this later on iTunes or Stitcher, on ESPN700sports.com, or on saltcityhoops.com. Check out that new KSL Court Report podcast as well, if you, if you don't mind, on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. This has been another great Salt City Hoops show on ESPN700, your home for Utah's number one sports talk.